Welcome everyone to this evening's service and uh, Dharma talk, homily, sermon, choose the title that you will. Last time I spoke about what does it mean to be free and I connected that to teachings that I had given previously where I said that happiness is freedom. Freedom is happiness. And then I said, how can we have that freedom? Well, the only way we can have that freedom is the courage to be. And this courage comes from taking refuge in our true selves, in the Lord of the house. So tonight's question, which is one that I get quite a bit, and I think it's a nice one to unpack here briefly. And that's the question, are humans basically good? Are humans basically good? Now, I'm going to talk more about what that means exactly um, from the way of mindful living. But let me just say a few words from, well, this one's an easy one. <laughs> it is not from Shakyamuni tonight, but it is rather from what we consider to be the Bodhisattva, Jesus. And Jesus said very clearly, do not call me good. Do not call me good. Now, why is this? Well, what's, what's the meaning here? So some people, and I've heard some pretty bright people use this expression, they'll say, well, you know, the word good originally was God because they conflate gut and gut, most likely in the German language. But actually it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with God or the word God. So I'm sorry for all those folks out there that have been using that. That is incorrect. But don't correct people in public. That's not a nice thing. So what does it mean? It means desirable or valid, and that's the meaning I think that most people apply to it. However, it also has a pejorative meaning, such as in goody two-shoes. Now it's interesting, when someone says that someone is a goody two-shoes, and I've asked a few people in preparing for this talk what they thought of someone who is a goody two-shoes. Um, they would say it's someone who's self-righteous, someone who tries too hard to follow the rules, someone who tries to be perfect or flawless. A goody two-shoes. Very legalistic, right? Now what's funny about that is the way that words sort of change uh, over time. The, the word, the, the phrase goody two-shoes actually comes from a novel that was written, I believe, in the 19th century. And it was about a poor woman who eventually ends up marrying a wealthy man. And she uses her newfound wealth to help the poor. So she remembers from whence she came. So it's a really good story about a woman you could say is saintly, really. But it has over time become pejorative. And I always think it's interesting how words that originally had a very profound and good meaning 
there's the word good, right? Something, something, as I said, something, you know, that is valid and is something that is, um, you know, desirable. And then it becomes something that's not. Let me read uh, from another modern scripture. Don't drink, don't smoke, what do you do? You don't drink, you don't smoke, what do you do? Subtle innuendos follow, but there must be something inside. Those words come from the great Adam Ant. <laughs> and I think that that helps us to kind of connect with what I want to get to about this question, are humans basically good? And when we say this, I think it's important for me to mention a few things. There, there became a, so, a sort of humanistic philosophy that some might say began with Rousseau and others. And even some people in the Buddhist tradition have said, you know, that humans are basically good. But I don't agree with that at all. I think that idealized version of humans just leads us to either like pride, a fall, or it, it, it causes us to be overly driven towards a sense of perfection. Now, when the late uh, Tibetan teacher Chungyog uh, Trungpa used that expression, and he was big for that uh, inherent goodness. He was referring to our Buddha nature. And so I think that that clarifies his perspective. But, you know, people say that, oh, humans are basically good. I remember one of my favorite episodes of the television show, Frasier, is where Frasier is basically has this good liberal belief that humans are basically good, right? And then throughout the first part of the show, he is, it's demonstrated through a lot of hilarious interactions that it doesn't seem to be so. And so Frazier's faith in this idea is shaken. Now his father, Marty, is more conservative, and Marty's view is that humans are rotten, and they get more rotten every year. <laughs> and there, that tends to be the view that people have of the human being, that we are either basically good, or we're basically bad. And so this is a duality. It's a duality with, that's what the words of Christ, in my opinion, meant. Don't call me good, because you place me good. You place me outside of oneness. Because oneness is not about bad and good. It is about the interpenetration of both aspects, both potentials within being. And when we move into this idea of good and bad, either or, this duality, and there are, you know, as I said, there are both religious and secular versions. You know, the religious version in one way or another is original sin, and the um, secular version is probably most famously the selfish gene. And even though Richard Dawkins said he didn't mean that, I mean, that's pretty much what you get from reading it, that uh, we are just hosts to a gene that's only drive is to self-replicate. 
and we're just the zombie sort of uh, holders of that parasite. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then there are others, you know, from evolutionary psychology, they'll do the same thing. They'll say that, well, humans are basically driven by the survival instinct, so that's, that's why, you know, they're selfish and what they are and so forth. And the Buddhist view is that that is a duality that doesn't represent reality. It's like, that's a good little one-liner, right? Duality does not re represent reality. Duality does not represent reality. And the thing is, from the Buddhist perspective, the human being is potential. And yes, survivalism, gene expression, all those things come into play. And Buddhism in no way tries to pretend that evil actions don't exist. But it does not put forth the idea that we are inherently evil or bad any more than it puts forth the idea that we are inherently good. So what it does is it says to us every day through the choices we make and through the level of self-awareness that we have, we can either manifest qualities of wisdom and compassion or we might manifest qualities of delusion and hatred. So I want to go and finish with what the Buddha said instead of good. He didn't use the word good for this purpose. But I do want to say something from the world of science, which is our form of knowledge that we use on Earth right now. And in, in, in that, and as I mentioned in my book, The Three Principles of Oneness, I talk about this a little bit. What we've actually found out about the human brain is that it's wired for connecting. And when this connection is blocked somehow, then that's when we act out of survival. This is really important. I think this is a great discovery. When this connection is blocked, that's when we act out of this sense of survivalism. And that brings out our more, we might say, animal-like aspects of primitively seeking belonging to a group for validity. And animals do this, especially mammals. Primates, especially being our closest cousins genetically, are a fantastic example of this. Everything is based on that fitting into the tribe. And our human aspects, which are somewhat different, and I think this is what the Buddha was implying and the Buddhist teachings were saying when they say that, that the best life you know, when you, if you buy into the traditional cycle of death and rebirth and reincarnation that was uh, floating around at the time of the teachings of Shakyamuni, you know, it was, it was basically the idea that, you know, whatever, you know, your karma was, you know, you, you kind of came back as. And it was saying essentially that in order to be free, nirvana, and to experience nirvana or freedom, that meant you were no longer a herd creature. And this ties in a little bit to my talk from last week about courage and freedom. It really means to be an individual. 
to embrace one's true self and to express that true self freely, which takes great courage, which comes from taking refuge. Well, that is the individuation. That is the individual, individual awakened to its dynamic within the whole. But make no mistake, it isn't about the idea of subsuming ourselves into some globus, glob of oneness. That's not what oneness means. Oneness means to recognize the interpenetrating, interconnected, interdependent nature of life and then express that individuality freely. And I would go further to say that when this individuality is at odds with the group, well, man, it takes even more courage. It's easy when you fit in and conform to the group. But when what you're doing out of your belief and conviction that is rooted in your sense of freedom of expression, when you believe that what you're doing is based on wisdom and compassion and clarity, you know, as the Buddha said, it's going against the stream. Because that, that mass herd thing, which you might even sometimes say can devolve into a form of mass uh, psychosis in society, is really about conforming. And uh, this mass psychosis, you know, is, which is an example, is that, uh, you know, even if an individual points out the delusions, the group, out of fear for its own survival... <laughs> will collectively pretend and possibly persecute that individual. You know, the best story we have is the children's story of the emperor's new clothes, right? The emperor's walking down the street naked, but everybody's saying, oh, how beautiful, how wonderful, what look he's wearing. And it's only a child who says, he's naked. Well, that's part of the expression of an individual. And I might further add, that the Buddhist communities, the early experimental sanghas, were the first examples of democracy. That the idea of the dignity of the individual, some could argue, began there in the move away from herd mentality. So, what did the Buddha use if he did not prefer the idea of good and bad, which is such a duality? What he highlighted is what is skillful or unskillful. Enlightened, which see things as a both and, and part of the whole, and connected. So what was the word he preferred instead of good? The word was kusala which is a, a Pali term, an ancient language. So what does kusala mean? So what kusala means is, and again, this was preferred instead of the word good, something that is kusala is stable, number one, is stable or practicing the process of overcoming delusion. So a kusala person is someone who is practicing stability through the process of overcoming delusion. Number two, someone who is awake 
or bright-minded. And that to me means two things. One, who's someone who's open to new information and is not embracing it and, and, and sharing it. Three, clear and free. A sense of boundlessness. Four, flexible, pliant, light, fluent, patient. And these are all sort of manifestations of the ego self when it finds its abiding rest in the true self. And finally, five, a kusala, a person of kusala, or someone who could be described as kusala, is someone who is calm and content, relaxed, serene, and satisfied. So in summary, we are neither good nor bad, devil nor angel. And we are either awake or asleep to the reality of our interconnectedness. And in order to be awake to the reality of our interconnectedness, we have to be awake to the delusions. And the fruit of a being who is awake is not good, but kusala. And this is a being who is clear, calm, creative, and abides in a deep sense of connection.